This evening, we are celebrating St. Stephen, St. Stephen the Proto-Martyr. His is a feast day that doesn't fall during Advent, but it actually falls on December 26th, the first day after Christmas, the day that me and you are not thinking about going to church, but relaxing and resting a little bit because the busyness seems to have peaked and things have started to slow down. You've probably sung about the feast day of Stephen without knowing it before, if you've ever sung the carol, Good King Wenceslas. Good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen, the day after Christmas. You hear the story about Stephen, in part, at least in the second portion, in the portion of the second reading that I read in Acts chapters 6 and 7. It's a very brief period in the Bible that we see him. As soon as he enters the scene, he seems to exit it just as quickly. He's not a disciple turned an apostle like the others we've talked about, and rather he is a deacon, one who is set aside in the church to diakonia, serve, serve other people. You had this problem in the early church where the apostles were having people bring their troubles to them. There was a dispute, especially in Jerusalem, between the Jews that spoke Hebrew and the Jews that spoke Greek that were there. When it came time for the distribution of bread, you'll read in the first part of chapter 6 in Acts, all of the Jewish or the Hebrew-speaking Jewish people were being served before the Greek-speaking Jewish widows. And there was a big fluffle about it. And so the apostle said, we're trying to spread the gospel. We can't really deal with this right now. Let's go ahead and pick seven people and set them aside to serve, to be a blessing and a help to the ministry so that we can focus on the word of God and prayer. And one of those seven people was Stephen. And you have Stephen giving this sermon to a very hostile crowd, okay? A crowd that doesn't want to hear anything that he has to say about God, truth, or the scriptures. And as a result of that sermon, he is the proto-martyr, the first martyr after our Lord's ascension who died witnessing to his faith in Jesus Christ. And of all this and all that we could speak about Stephen, the thing that I would like to talk about tonight as it pertains to Stephen, of all things, is answered prayer. A prayer that you give to God, that God clearly and definitively and indisputably answers with a yes. The joke that some of us had or heard at the seminary was, Stephen is the patron saint for zealous, just out of the seminary, young pastors. People that are so excited about the various things that they learned, they go out and they kind of make a mess of things in their first church. That's kind of a thing that happens, so be glad that I came to you second and not first. Yeah, uh, but Stephen's zeal, though, that he had was not for liturgies, not for where you put the flags in the sanctuary and other such feasts and new moons and Sabbaths, but Stephen's zeal was for the Lord of hosts. His zeal, as you see so clearly in his sermon, was for Jesus Christ. Now, you probably noticed it there in the middle reading uh, you have those brackets right in the middle or the beginning of the second paragraph and three dots between them. And that means it's jumping from a, one set of verses to another. And I want you all to go home tonight and before you go to bed, I want you to read those verses that we cut out so you have the fuller context. I'm going to summarize it for you, but it's good to read it yourself. The reason we didn't have it is it would have been really long and you'd probably be here much later than you would like to be. But... That's what was cut out there, and we need to understand what happens there to have the fuller context of what happened to Stephen. 
Because if you look at what it says, it says, And Stephen said, You uncircumcised in heart. And then he goes on to say some other rather pointed things at them. And it seems, without the fuller context of his sermon to them, his speech to them, that he's just trying to pick a fight. And he certainly was not. It seems without the fuller picture of what he was saying, that his mouth was writing checks that his body couldn't cash. Now, we know from the part that I did read that Stephen was doing signs and wonders, miracles, as it were. And he was speaking boldly in the Spirit to the extent to where they wanted to shut him up, just like they wanted to shut up the rest of the disciples, apostles, and our Lord himself. But the opposition to him was unable, unable to dispute what he said, unable to contradict it, and unable to get him to stop talking. And so they did the same old trick that you've already seen before. You see it in 1 Kings chapter 21 with Naboth and his vineyard. When a wicked king wants Naboth's vineyard and he won't sell it to him, he gets some wretched people and says, you tell slanderous lies about Naboth, say that he blasphemed God and the king, so we'll have an excuse to stone him and I can get his vineyard. And that is exactly what happened. They brought a false accusation against Stephen about what he was saying about the Lord. It says, he has spoken against God and against Moses. So the same thing they did with Jesus too, right? They had just tried it so recently. And by those words though, it works. They whip up the mob. The people get in a frenzy. He spoke against God and Moses. That's terrible. We got to do something about it. And they bring him to the Sanhedrin. Again, sounds familiar. And then in front of the Sanhedrin... Stephen starts to speak, and he gives a catechism lesson, as it were, or even better, he gives a Bible lesson, going through the whole Old Testament, beginning with Abraham, the patriarch, and working his way up all the way to Solomon, the king. And he highlights in that summary, the part that was cut out, God's faithfulness to Israel, how God had blessed Israel, called them as his own, kept his promises. But he also, in that story that he tells, a summary of the Old Testament scriptures, a very accurate one, I might add, he highlights the rebellion of Israel. Them turning time and again from their God and Father who had so graciously time and again blessed and delivered them. He highlighted how their fathers in Israel would persecute the prophets, the people that called them to repentance, that said, turn from your sinful ways. He highlighted to them what their, his, the, Israel's fathers, the 11 of the 12, or at least 10, did to Joseph and selling him into slavery. He highlighted how they rebelled against Moses in the wilderness, God's chosen to lead the people of Israel out of captivity into freedom. He highlighted in his speech how their fathers had rebelled against God himself. And after all this, we come to the conclusion where it picks up in the reading in the middle there. He calls them a stiff-necked people. He says, your fathers did this, and here's you, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart, as your fathers before you, so also you. And they received his words about as you would expect, right? The same mob that had probably to some degree participated in the Lord's own crucifixion not too long before some people, not too far before all of that happened. Since he pulled no punches in his speech toward them, they pulled no punches in their response to him. After testifying before them at the very end that the heavens were opened and he could see Jesus Christ 
at the right hand of the father. They said, that's it. We've got enough right there to kill him. And they took him outside of the city to be stoned. And as he was being stoned, it says so clearly at his death, he commended his spirit to the father and he prayed to the father that he would not hold their sins, this mob that was killing him, against them. Now, there are several things you could note here, and it'd be right to think about on your own sometime. The first is that there are parallels with Stephen to our Lord's own death. Not just the fact that he was brought before the Sanhedrin and sentenced to death for blaspheming the Lord, the God of Israel, but also that at his death, he commended his spirit to God, as Jesus did, into your hands I commit my spirit. And right before his death, as his Lord Jesus did, he also prayed for the forgiveness of the people who were killing him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You could also talk about how in the midst of one of the most horrible things, that let's be honest, Stephen probably was going through, death by stoning does not sound pleasant, he had a merciful spirit. He actually was thinking about the help, the eternal help of the people that were murdering him then and there, praying for them, asking God to forgive them. But I think the thing that I would like to focus on tonight and to emphasize and us to take away as we think about St. Stephen this week and beyond is the truly remarkable magnitude of God answering Stephen's prayer. How clear it was that he did answer Stephen's prayer and how wonderful it was. In the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you can probably think of several examples right off the bat, you have instances of a prayer being offered, a request of God, and then it being granted. The very clear and the happy, yes, you will get what you are asking for. I think about King Hezekiah, who was told he was going to die, praying, and the Lord says, okay, I'm going to give you 15 more years. I think also the healing miracles, even though it's still Jesus, they are, in a sense, answered prayers. And if you don't even want to take those, look at the apostles who also performed healing miracles, the Lord giving them the thing that they were asking for. But if you go away from tonight and ever have someone say, what's a clear example of a prayer being answered by God? Yes, in the Bible, I want you to tell them the story of Stephen. And why Stephen? Well... Because of what happens with the Apostle Paul. You probably noticed it buried there in the last paragraph. In the middle of stoning, or right after they're done stoning Stephen, it says the witnesses laid their cloaks at the feet of a man named Saul. We know that that Saul is Saul of Tarsus, who is later Paul the Apostle. Right? a young man, he's the leader of an opposition, and that's why he's standing there. And in a sense, he's kind of leading the thing, right? The guy that's in charge often doesn't have to lift a hand himself to do the dirty work, but he says, take care of him, and the people under his sway take care of him. That's what was going on with Saul. And after Stephen's stoning, if you read on the very next chapter, a general persecution of the church broke out. It's like you had this really positive chapter for the church, after Pentecost, but then it turns into a negative chapter here with Stephen and his martyrdom. You have Christians being killed, beaten, driven out, and Saul of Tarsus is leading the way. Saul, who is there, part of the mob at Stephen's death. Stephen's death, as it were, is kind of like blood in the water for the people that hate Jesus. 
And it seemed, after you read for a while in Acts, before you get to the next part, it seems like the mob wins. It seems like, well, that was it. They kind of had a good run after Pentecost and Ascension and all that, but uh, the people that hated Jesus have the upper hand now, and it doesn't seem like they're going to be stopped. The church is going to suffer and then be reduced into finally oblivion, save only for the help of God that actually then came. On the road to Damascus, we know the story very well, don't we? Saul was walking there to persecute more Christians. And who stopped him and appeared to him, none other than our Lord Jesus Christ himself, who said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Fast forward a little bit. Saul converts. He leaves his persecuting the church ways and becomes a Christian himself. And as much as you could ever say of anybody, I think it's fair to say, Paul was a super Christian, a mega Christian, as it were. He has a complete turnaround. If you could say he was going 100 miles in an hour in the I hate the church in Jesus direction after he converted, he was going 100 miles an hour in the I love the church and I will spread this around as much as I can direction. He became a Christian and a zealous apostle through whom God spread Christianity to all of the Roman world and indeed we are beneficiaries of that. And as much as anything, I think we do well to remember this as we commemorate St. Stephen. In the midst of his own death, in the midst of his own physical pain, he entrusted not just his soul to God, but he prayed for the forgiveness. He prayed for the conversion, essentially, of his enemies. And God answered his prayer. With Saul of Tarsus, with Paul, who was Stephen's enemy when he died, God answered it. And when Paul died, by the time that happened several decades later, he was Stephen's friend, as it were. For Paul, at least, if not others, Stephen got his prayer. God said, yes, do not hold this sin against him. God didn't hold it against Paul, but made Paul one of his own. And they, Stephen and Paul, along with all who have died in the faith in Christ, whether former enemies or not, or friends in lifetime and Christians for a lifetime, They are all together now before God in heaven, awaiting only the resurrection. Amen.